Hello, and welcome to the Children of Mary podcast. This is a very special episode for Protestants. Why? Because our guest today is an expert in Protestantism. He was a Methodist minister for over 18 years. And of all things, he converted because of the Virgin Mary. So we're going to cover some very important information that can help to remove these roadblocks, these walls that we've put up in our hearts concerning the Virgin Mary. Before we get to our special guest, I'd like to thank Claire. Claire, thank you. I'm glad to be here, as always. Claire's so good. She's always doing so many things. She's got her Etsy store up. If you don't know about it, you got to go check it out. I'll put the links. It's Mary's Etsy store. Thank you so much, (laughs) Mary's Etsy store. I'll put the links in the description. I would have you know. She's got a couple of shirts. She's adding more stuff. I'm telling her she needs to add a mug of St. Maximilian Colby. Yeah. Because and a lot of these designs yeah. are designs that we have for our high school kids, and we've seen that it inspires them to continue in their faith and share their, the message to their classmates, and so we hope it does the same to you as well. Thank you for that. Thanks for doing of that course. service to the yeah. church. Also, now I must introduce a very special man, and we, he has actually a deep history with the Children of Mary podcast. So Shane, welcome to the show. Gabriel, I could not be happier to be here, and it's really one of the great honors of my life to be a part of this occasion. Well, Mary's will be done. Let's go ahead and get started. If you're a Protestant and you're watching this, this might be the part that might be the hardest, is our opening prayer, because it's extraordinarily Marian. Bear with us. I promise you there's going to be so much fruit from this conversation that we have with Shane. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Blessed Mother, you're our mother. You are a gift from God to us. And we thank you so much for saying yes, for saying yes at the Annunciation, for saying yes at the cross. We consecrate this program to you. This is your program. Help us with your prayers, with your intercession to your spouse, the Holy Spirit, that we can be full of the Holy Spirit, that our minds and our hearts might be open to proclaiming what it is you want us to proclaim to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Help us to have a sense of your presence here in this room as we film this podcast. Watch over us and protect us from the wickedness and the snares of the devil. Protect all of the listeners from the wickedness and the snares of the devil. Intercede for us with your spouse, the Holy Spirit, that we can hear clearly what it is God is trying to communicate. And come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. Amen. In chaste heart of St. Joseph, pray Pray for for us. us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So Shane's got an incredible testimony of his entire life, a a testimony of following Christ anywhere Christ leads him. You can see that full testimony on the Matt Frad show, Pints with Aquinas. I highly encourage you to go check it out because you can see Shane's following Christ all the way to becoming a Methodist minister, and they really get into the the beautiful details and the struggles throughout that journey. So it's a very popular episode of the Pints of the Aquinas. I will also put that in the descriptions. But I want to really focus, Shane, on your relationship with Our Lady in particular, how she touched your heart even as a Methodist minister. Yes, and it started um, during my seminary experience, my first year of seminary. I was a seminarian at Duke Divinity School, Durham, North Mm -hmm. Carolina. And uh, it was my first semester, whereas before I was, I would consider myself more evangelical. Mary mm-hmm. was not even a part of my spirituality at all. 
And uh, it was through the teachings and instruction of a professor, Jeffrey Wainwright. And it, he wasn't necessarily Marion. He just introduced me to church history, yes. of which I was mostly oblivious. Yes. I knew the Reformation forward, so about 250 years, well, 250 years of Methodism. 500 years of the Protestant Reformation. And and then, as I've said in other places, I also read The Story of the Soul by St. Therese of Lisieux. When she introduced me, A, to becoming a saint, that's what our primary vocation is, and her own devotion to the Virgin Mary. And so Pro Professor Wainwright's class, the icons I saw, the treatises from St. Augustine I was reading, they were mentioning Mary, and I thought more and more about her, and it began to evolve uh, over the course of those two or three years. So much so that I thought, am I called to be Catholic at this point in my life? Um, and the answer at that point in my, in my life was no, but my Marian devotion continued to progress. Now, did you start to read anything from the Reformers about Our Lady? Well, that's something that I've, that most Protestants will find fascinating. Yes, I mean, you think about this. Martin Luther himself says that Mary is wisdom and holiness personified. Mm -hmm. He also says we could never honor her enough. And he's the king of the Protestants. Well, he's the yeah. one. He is the figurehead of yes. the Protestant Reformation, and yet he himself honored the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I think that's something to, that we'll maybe need to get into for most of the Protestants who may be listening. No, we don't worship Mary. It, this is about honoring Mary for, for various reasons that we can, we can discuss. But even uh, other Protestant reformers like Zwingli, you know, Zwingli himself would say things like, the more we, we deepen our love for Christ, the more we're going to honor his mother. And so you think about, wow, these are what the Protestants were teaching, the figureheads of the Reformation and then you compare what they were saying with the other 1,500 years of Marian devotion, and you see it happening very early on in the church's history. Even by the 300s, you're seeing some uh, prayers to the Virgin Mary, make intercession for us, we fly to you. It began to make me realize that the absence of Mary in the church is an aberration. Mm. What's normal is that all the faithful, and I'm including Protestants in this, that all the faithful will have Mary up as a part of their discipleship and a part of their spirituality. Well, if I was a Protestant listening to this, I'd say, well, Martin Luther got it wrong. Zwingli got it wrong. This is taking away attention from Christ. This is not in the Bible. Can you give me some allusions or scriptural references, something that I can work from to see what okay. you're trying to tell me? All right. Me? So the first yeah. thing that just comes to my mind, I want so my Protestant friends, think about some of the Psalms. You see, uh, how I long for the dwelling place of the Lord. My heart longs for the dwelling place. My heart longs for the courts of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. My heart longs for these things. Well, if on the basis of your argument, you would say, well, you shouldn't be longing for the courts of the Lord and or how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God of hosts. That's one of the Psalms. Well, think about Mary. She was the embodied dwelling place of the Lord. Well, you're not seeing the psalmists understanding the temple as being in competition with the Lord. No, the temple as God's dwelling place is pointing you to the Lord. So my first answer is, if Mary is the true dwelling place of the Lord, and even the Protestants would adhere to some of the councils, many of the councils of the church, like Chalcedon and others, um, that ratified the belief that Christ is, uh, is the divine Son of God. He's God in the flesh. Mary is there, therefore Theotokos, the mother of God. Well, if the temple is not in competition with the Lord, it only points there 
points you to the Lord, how much more so should his true dwelling place in the flesh, Mary, point you to him? So there is no competition, just like there's no competition between the sun and the moon. But that is something that Protestants need to think through and that I began to think through, that the saints are not competing with Jesus. They are actually a greater expression of the glory of Jesus. And Mary, of course, being so close to the glory of the Lord, then of course, um, she would shine with a greater glory among all the other the saints. You think about the stars in the sky. Yeah. They're not in competition with each other. Yes. Now, yeah. a lot of, you mentioned earlier before we got started, a lot of times Protestants will think of asking somebody to pray for you or praying to somebody as equating that with worship. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I know in, even in my Methodist um, formation, I did not have a concept of what the Catholic Church would call uh, dulia and latreia. Like Latreia is adoration that is only for God. Yeah. But Dulia is honor. And you can honor other people. So there's not the worship of, of Mary. It's the honor of Mary. It's the veneration of other saints. Again, we're not competing with each other, and we're certainly not worshiping. But that's uh, that dichotomy between Latreia and Dulia was something foreign to me. But once I realized um, what it really meant that began to open doors. And even in our own life, in our, you just think, I'm just going to invoke the military, for instance. Mm. I mean, how you would respect the authority of a general is going to be different than you would, than you would uh, show respect to a private. Right. There is a ranking b based on the office. Yeah. Now, all of our Protestant brothers and sisters would know, all you have to do is read the New Testament, and there are various offices outlined in the church. Some are apostles, some are evangelists, some are teachers, some are helps, you know, all these various offices. Well, there's one office that surpasses all of them, yeah. and that is the office of mother to the Son of God. And so by honoring Mary, we are honoring the office that she had as mother. Yes. And as just as we would honor in many ways by the dignity of the office of a general. Yeah. High ranking office. So much more should we honor this woman who was chosen to be the mother of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Yes. Now, a lot of times you'll hear, well, this isn't Christocentric. It's taking attention away from Jesus. Why, why love Mary? How is Jesus the model in all of this? Because no Jesus, no Mary. But it's also true to say no Mary, no Jesus. Yeah. But remember, she was the means through whom the, the Word of God come, came into the world. Mm -hmm. Her whole mission is to offer Christ to us. That's her very mission. Yes. And that is in no way self-referential. Yeah. Um, so what Mary's mission then is to do is to really mediate Christ to us. She is full of grace to the point that you had made. She's, full, she's completely emptied of herself. In many ways, you can juxtapose Mary's mission with John the Baptist. I think it's in John chapter 3. John the Baptist said of our Lord Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. Mm -hmm. John the Baptist is not in competition with Jesus. And if John the Baptist, who had a great mission, a yeah. great ministry, is not, how much less will uh, the Blessed Mother have yeah. in competition with our Lord? Earlier, you told me a great quote from St. Thomas Aquinas, and you said that, to be a good 
Catholic or Christian is to love the things that Christ loved and hate the things that Christ yes, hated. Yes, and that's in the Aquinas uh, Catechism. He sure. says something, and this is my paraphrase, sure. that the life of perfection, and all of our Methodist friends listening to this, that should resonate with us because John Wesley, who founded the Methodist movement, uh, really insisted on perfection, that we should be sanctified to such degree that we're becoming saints. We are becoming perfected in, in love. Thomas Aquinas says that really the the Christian perfection consists in loving the things that Jesus loves and despising what he despised. And so I will say and shared this with some of my uh, parishioners at the Protestant churches that I served. Well, let's think about what Jesus loved. He loved sinners. He loved the poor. He loved prayer. He loved the Holy Spirit. He loved the will of God. Um True. And we're all called to love these things. I'm called to love the poor. I'm called to love sinners. I'm called to love forgiveness. We're called to love mercy. Well, if Jesus loved all of those things and I should love them, then let's think about Mary. He loved his mother. And to love Mary is a greater and fuller imitation of Christ. It is the fuller expression of Christ's likeness. One of the most hurtful comments that I will read in my videos is Mary was a sinner. And it kind of hurts me because they're insulting not just Mary, but they're insulting Christ. Can you talk to me about the role of sin in Our Lady's life and why she wasn't just another sinful woman like the rest of us and where we can see those illusions and truths in Scripture? Well, I would just say, before we even get into the biblical sure. understanding, I mean, think about what you're saying, that you're, you're saying that God chose a sinful woman to be mother to God? I mean, just on the principle, that, that just makes no sense. Let's think through about what Gabriel said to Mary at, when he appeared to her. Hail full of grace or rejoice, you who are full of grace. Full of grace. Maximally full of grace. There's only one other person in the Bible, in the Gospels, that is described as being full of grace. You know who it is? It is Jesus in John chapter 1. Full of grace and truth. Mary is now called full of grace. Well, what is sin? Well, we can break that down in a number of ways, but sin is ultimately the privation of grace. Um, and if someone is going to be called maximally full of grace, then how can that person be a sinful creature? So I would just start there. But, but Mary is not without sin because of her own merits. It is because it prepared her to be mother to Jesus Christ. And we have to understand this, that sin is not the presence of our humanity. And what I mean by that, there's so many people who think, well, I'm human, I'm a sinner, I'm just human, I'm a sinner. No, no, no. Sin is not a presence, it's an absence. So to be without sin is actually to be more human, not less human. So Mary was someone who was the fullest expression of a, cre of a creature, of true what humanity, true humanity looks like, which is a complete disposition for God. And her entire life was completely disposed to do the will of her son. You had mentioned to me like a cat, like a king who can build his castle, or he can right. build his, Tell me about that. Well, that was from I believe Cyprian. Mm -hmm. And think about it. One of the things you find in in the uh, the the the, plus the narrative of King David is the Lord says, "I will build myself a house. I will build myself a house." Well, Mary is that house, his true dwelling place, and so the Cappadocian. Fathers would say, well, what king would build himself a great palace and then have it marred before inhabiting it? And I think that's a great way to say 
can we truly say that the, that the woman in whom our Lord chose to dwell in the fullness of his presence would choose a marred or i.e. sinful creature to do so? Now, where, where does honoring Mary lead us? How is this going to be compatible with my spiritual life? If I'm a Protestant, what are you telling me to do? Should I be praying to her? What, can I just honor her and respect her? What, what are your thoughts? You're, you obviously got, had a respect for Our Lady. I would, I would say most Protestants honor Mary as being a good mother. They sympathize with her because she obviously loved Jesus more than anybody else because that's the love between a mother and a son. But where are you taking this? When in your own life, when did you start to pray to her? How does praying to Mary look like, and how can that like not be idolatry? Well, okay, where does honor take us? It yeah. it takes us to a, a greater and deeper love for Christ. Mm. Let me use an analogy. I'm just thinking of this. You know how every Veterans Day or Memorial Day, who are we honoring? Who do we honor uh, every Veterans Day and on Memorial Day? I'm asking that question. Those who have served us. And, we are we, yeah. veterans, right? Yeah, veterans. Yeah. We're honoring them. Well, what is that doing to us? It makes us love our country. Right. It doesn't, we're not saying, oh, well, if you, if you, if you honor a veteran, then you're going to be taking away from the love and respect we should have for our country. Well, that's not true. Right. It is actually by esteeming these men and women who gave everything up for the country and honoring them on certain days of the year that it makes us have a greater, well, devotion to our own country. Okay, so if you use that analogy, the more we honor Mary and even other saints, the more we sh should choose, we want to be like them. Yeah. So that in turn, it deepens our love for Jesus Christ. It's always about Jesus and, and never, just, never just about the saint or Mary uh, themselves. And I had a question too, like for any Protestant out there who wants to start to develop their relationship to Mary, like where do you start? Because that's like, I'm so mm -hmm. used to talking to Jesus. Okay, now how's Mary fit into all this? I would me? actually say start first with the scriptures. Okay. Um, it, and it, it, my eyes were opened up over a period of time. But what I have tried to show others is that if you take the, the New Testament seriously, how Paul and Peter and the Johannine epistles describe the Christian life. They have an inescapable Marian shape to them. Mm. I will give just a couple of examples. Go read Galatians, and I believe it's the opening chapter, or maybe it's chapter two, where, where, where Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Okay. If you're a Protestant listening to that, I want you to do a serious reflection. Who fulfilled that greater than any other disciple of Jesus but Mary? She truly had Christ living in her. So he wants Jesus to dwell in him. Okay, so he may not be explicitly referring to Mary or thinking of Mary, but implicitly, that's Marian. Paul says in the Ephesians, here is the great mystery of the gospel, Christ in you. Who had Christ in in her, but Mary. Think of the Johannine epistles. John, 1 John, the letter of 1 John, he begins by that which we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears and, and touched with our hands, the word made flesh. Well, let's think that through. Who saw Christ with her eyes, who touched him in his flesh, but the blessed mother. James, for instance, 
says, welcome the implanted word of God, which has the power to save your souls. Oh, well, who welcomed the implanted word of God into her life more than Mary? I could go on, but now is Mary explicit there? No, I wouldn't say she is, but it's a Marian shape to the Christian life. Why? We want Christ to live his life in us. That's how the New Testament understands a relationship with Jesus. It's not abstracted and it's not just intellectual. It is this indwelling uh, feature of Christ living in us. Mary is the prototype. She personifies that. Uh, So I would say start there. And then we can start talking about the rosary. But let's first say, do you want to be like this? Do you want Christ living in you? Well, why wouldn't you want to apprentice yourself with Mary, who actually had that experience, not in a spiritual fashion, but substantially? That was Mary. Is that, is that, yeah, does that no, help answer your question? And that, that. That, you made me think of like people like Mother Teresa who say, I want to see Jesus in the poor and in the hungry, and I want to clothe the naked. Oh, okay. And then Our Lady. Yes. One she, of the things I notice about that, even the teachings of Jesus is that Mary has already fulfilled them um, in herself. A couple of examples. If you read the Beatitudes, uh, uh, Matthew's Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the, the poor in spirit. You know, the, the, the empty, you know, the impoverished of, of, of spirit, because to your point, to be empty of self is to be full of the life of God. Mary fulfills that. Blessed are those who mourn. Mary, her sorrows, seeing her son tortured and put to death. So just go down the ladder or up the ladder, depending on which direction as you see it, and that Mary fulfills even the Beatitudes in herself. Matthew 25, Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. Uh, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Well, let's think about Mary with the child Jesus, who was naked and she clothed him, who was hungry and she fed him. She's already fulfilled those things. And of course, Jesus says, if you do this for the least of my brothers, you've done it to me. Well, Mary actually did it to him. So that was enriching. She fulfills that teaching. Think about the foundational parable. Uh, you see this in Mark 4, the parable of the sower. You know that parable of the mm-hmm. sower? There, there are various types of soil. The seed falls on the soil and, and, and different uh, effects uh, occur. And then Jesus explains that the seed that is in his parable is the word of God. Well, let's think about the life of Mary. Jesus is the enfleshed word of God that fell on the good soil of her flesh and produced abundantly. Wow, she even fulfills these things. Uh, Jesus says to the disciples that the greatest among you shall become the servant. What did Mary call herself at the Annunciation? Behold, I am the handmaid, I'm the servant of the Lord. So again, it's a, there is an inescapable Marian shape to Christian discipleship. And I want my Protestant brothers and sisters to see that. There is this inescapable Marian shape. Now, I'm interested in, you You and I were discussing the Ark of the Covenant. Ah. How is Mary like the new Ark of the Covenant, and how can that help us in our Christian journey? Now, Protestants, now, if you if you have a, a, 
our Protestant friends love this stuff because this is thoroughly biblical. Okay, how is Mary the Ark of the Covenant? Well, that's right in Luke chapter 1, where Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. So if I have any Protestant uh, friends of ours listening right now, go get your Bible, look at Luke chapter 1, and then get another Bible and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, I don't have it in front of me here, but I'll try to recall some of this. It says that Mary made haste into the hill country of Judea to go visit Elizabeth. 2 Samuel 6, King David goes into the hill country of Judea. We don't know where he's going yet, but that's where he goes. He finds the ark there, and he says in front of the the, the ark, how can it be that the ark comes to me? Mary is making haste to the hill country of Judea, just like David did. She appears to Elizabeth, and what does Elizabeth say? How can it be that the mother of my Lord comes to me? David leaps before the ark out of joy. John the Baptist in utero. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is described as leaping before Mary. David stayed. The ark stayed with David for three, about three months. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. I don't care how you want to read this, but Luke knows exactly what he's doing that Mary is the Ark of the Covenant coming before the king. Um, and what, what did the Ark contain? Right. Yeah. Uh, we, we should know this. Right. This is biblical. Yeah. The word made stone in stone, the word etched in stone was in the Ark. The manna, the bread from heaven was in the Ark. And the priestly staff of Aaron was in the Ark. Who was dwelling in Mary but the Word made flesh? The bread, true bread from heaven, and the great high priest. Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. And think about what the Ark, ark was really for. And of course, we venerate, they venerated the Ark. They and venerated they sung the Ark. songs and danced well, and they, everything. They venerated yeah. the Ark. It wasn't in competition right. with the Lord and who dwelled within it. Right. There was no competition there. It was a holy and sacred vessel. Mary is clearly a holy and sacred vessel, but the ark often preceded the Israelites into battle. And uh, whenever the ark went before them, they tend to win the, the battles. When it was not there, they tend to lose the battle. What I find fascinating is that since Luke is describing Mary as the new ark, after Elizabeth says, how can it be that the mother of our Lord comes to me? What does Mary break into but really her battle song? Yes. The Magnificat is not a lullaby. It's really a cry of revolution, casting the mighty from the thrones, lifting up the lowly, filling the hungry with good things, sending the rich away empty. There is the king is coming to his rightful place on earth. This is a battle and the ark is leading the way. That's Luke's reference. That blows the mind. Yes. And if that's true and since that's true and that's the that's scripture. Then that should change everything about how we understand Mary. And I'll say one last thing. The assumption, for instance, and I realize we don't have enough time to really get into sure. that, and that's, that's a stumbling block for Protestants, but Mary is assumed into heaven. That's not a nice little thing. Oh, well, you know, she's in heaven now. No, no, no. She's the ark. She is preceding us yes. to heaven where now there's a battle still underway. Now, there's also uh, allusions in Exodus 
about the presence of the Lord overcoming and overshadowing. Overshadowing. The ark. And that's the same language that's used at the Annunciation. How can this be? The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's right. And, and it's the same. You. It's the same. Well, the, it's the Greek trans, uh, transliteration of the yes. Hebrew of overshadow. The same Holy Spirit that overshadowed Sinai, that overshadowed the tabernacle, yeah. which was the dwelling place of the divine, is now overshadowing Mary. Yes. Uh, she is the site now of the true dwelling place of, of God. And how is Our Lady now? We call her queen. The Catholics call her queen of heaven yes. and earth. How is she a queen? Everything that you really want to say about Mary is not necessarily going to be in front of you in the New Testament. Right. You have to invoke the Old Testament. But in many ways, we have to do that with Jesus as well. Otherwise, right. his story makes no sense. Right. Um, but if you read Chronicles, so my Protestant friends listening, go read uh, Second Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. You'll see a list of queens, their mothers. And of course, Solomon saw his mother Bathsheba as the queen. He bowed to the queen. So if Jesus is our king and in line with how Israel structured queenship, which was always the mother of the king, yes. how much more so will Mary now be the queen mother of Jesus? But again, it's not competition. Right. It is participation in the very mission of the king. Yes. So can you talk to me a little bit about, because sometimes people will say, well, Mary's not that relevant in the New Testament. But if you think about it, she's at all the most important right. moments. She's at the Annunciation. She's at the first miracle. She's at the crucifixion. She's at the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Can you give me some insights into that? Well, at, at every every stage of the life of Christ, where, where, where pivotal things are happening, you find Mary there. The Annunciation. Uh, she was actually the one who launched his public ministry. You know, we need their they're out of wine. Uh, interestingly enough, he calls her woman at the uh, at the the wedding of Cana, and for the Jewish readers of the time, that would have been a reference to Eve, who was called yes. woman. But we we know she's there during the public ministry, and we know she's there during his passion. And John makes that abundantly clear. Yeah. And she's, she's standing at the foot of the cross, and she's there at Pentecost as yes. well. And I think, Luke, you set up Pentecost and the Annunciation. The Holy Spirit descends upon Mary and forms the body of Christ in her yes. womb. Now the Holy Spirit is descending on the disciples, Mary in the room. What is the Holy Spirit doing but forming the infant body of the church? Right. The body of Christ. So, right. so this almost coming to completion shows she's clearly there yes. at every moment. Yes, I absolutely love and that. And how about the Holy Spirit too? Like how is Mary connected to the Holy Spirit for our brothers and sisters? Well, this is rich stuff that we're, we're going to get into here. But what happens when two become one and, and conceive in the scripture what is happening? It's a marriage. Yeah. It's a spouse, Adam and Eve. They knew each other and they conceived. Right. You know, you yeah. see this throughout the scriptures. Well, and here I'm invoking some of the great saints of the, of the church that see at the Annunciation, the Holy Spirit conceiving forms a union with Mary. Christ is conceived. It is as if she is now spouse of the Holy Spirit. The two have now become one and their offspring is the child Jesus. So there's this intimate connection. It's almost as a marriage yes. between Mary and the Holy Spirit. And we're just talking about Luke chapter one. That's biblical. Yes. That's yeah. she conceived. That's right. After the union with the Holy Spirit, that's as if that's spousal kind and of And she language. consented and she gave and, and she, she surrendered. 
She was all in. That's it wasn't right. like, hey, I guess do whatever you want. You make this happen. Right. It was a complete gift. And it was a complete active collaboration. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, there, there was a time when I may have thought Mary as this kind of passive agent right. in the story. But if you really take it seriously, she was extremely and actively involved right. in collaborating with God's will for the world yes. through her son. Now, you just touched upon this beautifully about Pentecost, the birth of the church, the birth of the infant body of yeah, Christ. Yeah. At the foot of the cross, Jesus gives Mary to us. And so he did not leave us orphans. Well, right. Now, that's something I never really thought about before. Uh, it was just while praying the, ro the rosary, actually. Yes. So uh, Jesus in John chapter 14 says to the disciples, I will not leave you as or orphans. I will come to you. And I've never really taken that verse seriously. But I ask you, what, literally, what is an orphan? Absent what? Parents. Yeah, a mother and a father. That's right. Okay. So I was reflecting on orphan. No mother, no father. That's John 14 or 15. Go to John chapter 19. At the cross, Mary gives, uh, excuse me, Jesus gives Mary to the beloved disciple. Behold your mother. I give you to her. There, here is your mother. And then in the next chapter, chapter 20, it's Easter. The risen Christ appears to Mary Magdalene and says, I'm going to my father and to your father. And for the first time, I juxtapose those two. In chapter 19, he gives us mother. In chapter 20, he gives us father. Therefore, fulfilling what he said in John chapter 14 or 15, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm giving you a mother and a father. That was a breakthrough moment for me. And very profoundly, after he gives us a mother at the foot of the cross, he immediately, immediately says, after this, all things were fulfilled. All things were completed. Then at that point, and of course, Mary, he had already given up everything he, uh, at, at that point. He had one last quote-unquote possession, the one last thing he could call his own. Yeah. And that was his mother. That was still his own. And he gives her away. Yeah. So he completely emptied himself, even of his mother, and bequeathed her to the church. And I did not know this, but the saints took the anonymity of the beloved disciple in that moment very seriously, yeah. that beloved disciples have Mary and accept Mary as their mother. That's right. Uh, and that too was a profound moment for me. And it seems to be the case that this was Jesus's will. I want this to be the case. Right. Like Jesus wants Protestants to take Mary as the mother. This was like one of his last, uh, last testaments to the disciples before he expired was take Mary as your mother. And in the book of Revelation, we see allusions to Our Lady, and it says that the, the offspring of the woman are those who hold the commandments. Yes. That too was a breakthrough moment for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you're invoking Revelation Rev 11 and 12. 12. Yeah. Yes. First, John sees the ark. And then if you take away the chapter heading, the next thing he sees is the woman. So that's where we get the ark and the woman. Uh, right next to each other. Right next, right next to each, to each other. other. It's, it's clear what's happening. And that the offspring of the woman. That's right. The offspring of the woman. Offspring of this woman who was the mother to the child that the dragon was trying to slay. That's and us. of course, that's a clear allusion to the Genesis story. The man, right. the woman, and a reptile. That's right. A serpent. It's just amplified uh, to a, a great degree. Um, and I may be talking in circles. But remember... Think about Genesis, that condemnation came on the world, came to, into the world through a woman, a man, and a tree. That's right. 
those three, uh, a woman, a man, and a tree, and how you see it juxtaposed with a cross. What do you find there? A man and a woman and a tree. That's right. And this understanding of, of Mary as a new Eve. That's right. The woman who collaborated with our downfall. Now we are, now it is, it is uh, fulfilled by a woman who uh, collaborated with our salvation. That's right. She is not the redeemer. Right. She has no redemptive qualities at her at all, but she collaborated That's to right. it. That's right. And even more to that yeah. point, Eve listened to a bad angel and Mary listened to a good angel. Right. She's the mother of all those living in Christ, whereas Eve is the mother of all the living. Yes. And you see that uh, the Mary-Eve typology by the second century with the writer St. Irenaeus, That's which right. means he inherited it. Yeah. And I believe I have this right, that Irenaeus was a, a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John the Apostle, right. who was the one with whom Mary lived. Yeah. And you're already seeing this, this typology of Mary as the new Eve. A, a Protestant should have no reservations embracing that yeah. and, and accepting that as truth. Speaking of Protestants having no reservations, when you first emailed me last year, you told me your story and you were saying, I'm a Methodist minister. I have a congregation that I meet with weekly yeah. and I pray the rosary every day. <laughs> I think a lot of Protestants might say, red flag, what's going on in this guy's life? Can you please get into why it's good for Protestants to pray the rosary, why it's scriptural, why it's nourishing, and all these things that people might have reservations about. Well, I think so much of these, what we call Catholic uh, practices, um, Protestants think that they will lead them down the wrong path. Right? Right. The, or, there's a lot of mythology, yeah. there's just mythology associated with it. Just as, well, they they worship Mary. Well, that's a myth. Right. Um, but the rosary, the, why should you pray the rosary? Because it is about Jesus. It is completely and utterly Christocentric, the way Mary's life was utterly Christocentric. And basically, all you are doing is you are reciting Scripture over and over again as you are reflecting on the episodes of Jesus's life as you find them in Scripture. So it just, instead of being more of a, of a bystander, spectator, of kind of the, the, the gospel story, it is a way to immerse yourselves into it as a participant. Yeah. And you're able to reflect on Jesus through the eyes of Mary as she would have seen him and the tenderness that she would have had for him. Um, and then that would enrich your life. And so that's what happened to me. I was able to see these stories in new ways. One of the things that I have I've shared in other places is that we know Jesus says uh, at the Last Supper, this is my body given for you. Well, I was reflecting on the mystery of the Annunciation, and in many ways, couldn't we say that Mary, when she said yes, she was more or less saying to God, this is my body given for you? Yeah. Exactly. To God? And that's enriching. Yeah. That's not putting me in competition. That's enriching my whole contemplation of Jesus and my friendship with him. Yes. And what are the effects? What are things that will happen to those? What are the benefits of praying the rosary? I think docility of the, I think you just become more and more docile to doing the will of God. I wanted to know more. So once I was, once I saw these mysteries come to life that I had never contemplated before, and remember, I'm reflecting on the stories. Right. I'm not thinking really about Mary at all. Right. I'm just reciting what Gabriel said, yeah. hail full of grace, the Lord is with you, as I'm thinking about the story of, of Christ. But the more I was 
drawn into the mysteries, the more I wanted to know more, which made me want to go deeper until suddenly I realized I want to love Christ more. It's not so much I want to know more. I want to love Christ more. And it really hum it placed, it humanized many elements. That This was a story that happened within history. Right. And, and Mary was a, a human creature with deep emotions affected by what was happening to her son. I, I want to be more like her so I can be more like Jesus, because ultimately it's about that. It's about becoming yeah. more like Jesus. And what is more like Jesus than loving the very woman he loved? Exactly. And I find that it gives you the gospel all day. So like, you could sit with scripture and really focus in on one little passage or a couple of verses and pray with that, and it's very good. But with the rosary, you're able to go through an entire phase of the life of Christ, and you get to see it and reflect upon it and what that means in light of the Annunciation. When you're thinking about, you're saying the words of the Annunciation and you're thinking about the crucifixion, there's some connections there that are being made in the brain that ordinarily would not be happening. That's right. Um, and... Is it difficult to pray at times? Sure. Yes. It's, it's yeah. difficult to pray. But anything worth doing is worth doing badly, as right. G.K. Chesterton yes. said. It's worth doing because the fruit is going to be, you will actually, you will manifest more in your life the very fruits of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, meekness. It will do something yes. to you. All of those gifts. That's, that's a perfect way to say it. Purity mercy, all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you're going to experience more fully in this prayer. And if if Mary, or since, it's not an if, but since Mary was in such a deep union with the Holy Spirit, such that she conceived God in the flesh in her womb yes. as a result of that union, she would have manifested to almost a, per, to a perfect degree all the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, so you're saying, and, and I believe this is true, obviously, is that we have a mother we have a mother who loves us, if what you're saying is true. We have a mother who loves us with the love of a million mothers and who actually has some authority in invoking God and interceding on our behalf. If we have that and we're not open to that, we're truly losing out on a great gift from God that God has willed to, to prosper us. Yeah, this is the will of Jesus. The will of Jesus was take Mary as your mother. That's right. Uh, and I would say you're impoverishing your own Christ-likeness, your own participation in the in the fullness of Christ's life. Yes. Remember, discipleship in the New Testament is not just following Jesus. It's greater than that. It is letting Jesus live the fullness of his life in you. Paul says things like sharing in his suffering, sharing in his death, sharing in his resurrection. We want to share in the life of Christ. Well, if we're really going to... Uh, share in the life of Christ to the fullest degree, then of course, Mary will need to be a part of our own spirituality. And then the, uh, as another answer to that question, what has Jesus made us according to the New Testament? He has made us the sons and daughters of God. You find the early church saying that the son of God became flesh so that we might become the sons and daughters of God. Yeah, okay. He was a son. He was a son. We as Christians participate in his sonship. We know Jesus was the son of his father, but he was also the son of Mary. Yeah. And if we are going to truly take seriously our participation in Jesus' sonship as co-sons and co-daughters with Jesus the son, yeah. I just don't see how you can omit Mary from your, your discipleship without impoverishing your own vocation to be a son. Yeah. 
um, of, of, of the Father and the Son of Mary. One thing we left out was Mary's role as advocate that we really see happening in the early chapters of John's Gospel. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because some people will say, well, nowhere in the Bible is Mary interceding for anyone. Except in John chapter 2, when she certainly interceded for a, for a family that would have been embarrassed yeah. uh, when they ran out of wine. And of course, you remember when Jesus says, well, it's not my time, right. woman, it's not my time. And Jesus was not being derogatory. I know right. it comes across that way. It was a reference really to uh, to the woman of Eve yeah, again. Yeah. And he says the same thing at the cross, woman, right. um, a man and a woman in a tree. That's right. In, in John's gospel. So she is interceding. And, and that's another thing. I do not pray to Mary as if to a goddess. Right. And I do agree that some historians say that the reason maybe Marian devotion was not perpetuated or propagated in the ancient world as it would come to be later is because there would have been confusion that maybe she is a goddess, right. which is blasphemy. Right. But uh, Mary intercedes for us. I ask people to pray for me all the time. Yeah. I say this to Protestants. Don't you ask people to pray for you? Well, if... If the mother of Jesus is available to hear our prayers and intercede for us, why would we turn that down? Why would we say no? Because ultimately we have to believe in eternal life. That's right. And I think by not invoking some of the great saints to pray for us, we're not asking them, we're not praying to them as to gods, but to pray for us, it's it's undermining our belief in eternal life yeah. and and that the church consists not of just we who are on earth right. but all those in heaven it's the same body that transcends heaven and earth right. and don't fall into the secular understanding that the the line separating people is the living and the dead right. that's not the line in the scriptures it's in Christ or out of Christ if that's you're right. in Christ whether you're, you're whether you're uh if you're dead in Christ you're still in Christ and you're alive and so and we're still in union with that right. it's out of Christ that's the boundary right Beautiful. Now, can you give some advice to people? I'm sure that there's Protestants who are listening to this and they're like, well, you don't understand. I have this role and I can't convert my family. And you were a man who literally stood on the edge of a cliff yes. with 18 years as a pastor. I would say if you're a Protestant listening, I'm not trying to make you Catholic right now. Right. You have a spiritual mother. If Eve is the mother of all the living that fell, Mary, who is the counterpoint to Eve, is the mother of all the living in Christ. You have a mother. Bring her into your life. You know, the angel, think about what the angel said to Joseph. Remember when he had his reservations, what do I do? And the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary into your home. And I, I, I appeal to everyone. I was a Protestant pastor. I loved the Virgin Mary. And she did nothing but enrich my love for Christ. Don't be afraid to take Mary into your home. Jesus has willed to give Mary to us as our mother. Let's do God's will. Let's do his will. Don't discount that. And one of the things I've, I've shared with people and, um, is I really love Mary for one reason. I love Mary because Jesus loved Mary. And I want to be more like Jesus. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. If you've been touched by this at all, please, please share it with the people in your life who need Mary in their life. Shane, is there anything else you want to add? This is your chance. Get it all out. I, I think want... this is just the beginning. I do yes. think that Mary is now calling her uh, Protestants to 
herself. Yes. And this is something that I, I celebrate and um, would like to be a part of in some way. It, she will never take anything away. She will only give you more of what she gave birth to, and that is Jesus, her son. Beautiful. And will you lead us in a Hail Mary to conclude this? Yes. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My brothers and sisters, I do believe that God has a plan. Our Lady has a plan for Shane. Throughout this, I, I've been telling him, I've been visiting with him the past, you know, 48 hours, 24 hours that we've been together. And I kept, I, I always say, when Our Lady does something, she's doing it to many ends. It's not just for our own good. It is for our own good. But it's also for the good of our families. It's also for the good of other people. And I truly believe that Shane has a role to play in the larger church. If you would like to invite him to a conference, if you'd like to invite him to your parish, if you'd like him to come to your seminary to give a little lecture on homiletics even, because he's a very passionate speaker, we need passion in the Catholic Church. Email him at Shane4, the number four, Shane4OurLady at gmail.com. He can speak on topics from tithing to marriage to Mariology. His charism is speaking. Let him speak. Thank you so much for watching this podcast. Share, like, subscribe, do all those wonderful things. Join us again next time. God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you very soon.